beginning with verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have been ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Now we turn to verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Peter went to Caesarea and met Cornelius, and the two reported their visions to one another. This brings us to verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He personally commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I think this is going to be more of a um, pastoral chat than most of my sermons, maybe more like a fatherly chat, because fires have been burning here in Southern California this week, right? I mean, the physical destructive fires that have been consuming thousands of acres and causing thousands of people to flee their homes have been burning in and around the uh, Idlewild Palm Springs area. And even though it it seems to be a bit under control, we have to keep all of those people affected by it and the first responders in our prayer these days. And I pray you will. 
But in the message today, I, I want to I want to talk about what I call these relational fires that have been raging throughout our country and in our own city since the George Zimmerman Trayvon Martin verdict came down last weekend. I, uh, to me, uh, what we're being forced to acknowledge is that we still have this huge cultural and ethnic and racial divide in our country that many people don't really want to, uh, to look at. Now, I know that sometimes our news media just pours fuel on the fire, right, by the way it's presented. And yet there was one of the news reports I watched earlier this week that, that just showed me how extreme the walls between, among us really are. Uh, in, in this particular one, in part one of the report, it started with some legal experts uh, saying that when they, this was before the verdict, that when you just looked at the Florida laws as they stand, they all agreed this case should not have even gone to court. They said that given the law the way it stands in, in Florida, that the evidence that might uh, convict Mr. Zimmerman of anything simply doesn't exist. What, what's demanded by it just isn't there. And that part of the report ended with one man just declaring, and I have to tell you, uh, he was about my age and uh, about my skin color, pretty pale, and uh, he, ju he just declared uh, this, that uh, everyone will agree when they look at this, that justice was served in this verdict. Then it went to the second part of the news report. And people, it took us to Chicago. <laughs> and people there were protesting, and many of them were being interviewed. And they just said, they were unanimous about this, that this sort of profiling, namely going after a person simply because of how a person looks, simply because of age or, or ethnicity. They said, this happens every day in our neighborhood. And, and then that part of the report ended with a woman, and here I have to say, much younger than I am, and of a more vibrant uh, hue uh, than I have, uh, saying this, when a completely unarmed young man who's just going back home after getting some food at a store ends up being shot, well, she said, everybody will surely agree that this was an injustice. Now, do you, do you hear that? One said, everybody will surely agree that justice was served. And then in the next one, everyone will surely agree that this was an injustice. Um, one thing's become clear to me this week. Not everyone agrees. Now, I'm going to talk about this, and I'll tell you. In the past, when I've ever addressed issues of ethnicity and race, I have heard so often, Oh, Pastor Greg. Yeah, you, under, you had racial divisions where you grew up down south. You guys had problems with that. And you had racial problems in Chicago. We all know that. And there are racial problems when you spend so much time in Miami. They, but we don't have those things here in Southern California. I mean, honestly, I've been told that. Some of you laugh, but others know that maybe you're among those who have told me that. What's been said is, you know, we here in Southern California, we grow up alongside one another. We, we know how to live in community. We don't even see these issues of race and ethnicity. Well, I just, I want to respectfully, but firmly disagree. Uh, we here face the very same issues of misunderstanding among peoples, and even a prejudice among people group that the whole world is wrestling with. And the Bible helps us to understand that. 
It tells us that our our problem goes all the way back to when sin first entered the world. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It's in the Garden of Eden that when people turned away from God, one of the fundamental things that happened was that relationships were broken. Relationship to God, but also relationships among people. And when we gather here in the 21st century in this imperfect world, what we have had is century after century of, of broken relationships. Not, not just among individual people, but among people groups. Um, and so we gather here at this particular time where this is all just coming out. But that's still a part of the world that we are in. And we're going to be asking whether God's word has anything to say to us. And I tell you, it does. Now, I'm quite sure that there are many of you who could speak much more knowledgeably about this. And I'm sure much more profoundly than I can. But God has called me to the task today, so I'm going to do it. And of the many things that I might say from this text that Nancy read to us, Acts chapter 10, I'd like you to turn to that. There's one thing that I want to drive home to us as a church family. And here it is. God has planted us as a local church into this deeply divided world. And specifically right here into this neighborhood given us this stewardship of this incredible location right here in the San Gabriel Valley. He has planted us in this deeply divided world to make known to our world what he is like. The Bible says that to make known his glory. And I think in our current situation, I think what God is calling us to show this divided world is his love for all people. His readiness to welcome into one family all who will respond to Him. To make known by our lives His passion for justice, for for what is right. And especially, I think, to make known to this world God's um, deep commitment to mercy-filled reconciliation. Jesus gave His life to reconcile us to Him and to one another. Now, here's what I've seen in my lifetime. The powers that exist in our world simply don't have the clout to to take divided people and bring them together. I mean, I I really think we need to have laws and use whatever we have to do that. but, But we don't have the clout either in our political laws or in military force to bring together uh, what is so divided. But what the world cannot do, God can. And what I want to say is that God brings people who are divided into his one unified family. And we are here to show that, uh, that, that what is broken in this world can become a part of, not just of one community, but of one family. You know what I call it, God's unexpected family. The world should look at us and say, what are those people doing worshiping there today? All right, so I want to think, what is the origin biblically? of all these cultural and racial divides. And, and even though it goes back to our individual sin, um, this p- division of people groups goes back to Babel. So if you turn to Genesis chapter 11, you can read that story that God himself at one point divided humankind into different uh, language groupings, into n- different national groupings. And you know the reason? Uh, because creatures, that's us, creatures didn't want to be creatures anymore. It's it's the fundamental problem that you and I also have. Creatures want to be the creator. 
We don't want to be under the authority of anyone. And so what you have in Genesis chapter 11 is the creatures not wanting to submit to God, uniting to have a revolt against God. And God in his wisdom chose to divide people into different language and, and people groupings. And I, I think he must have known in his wisdom that we're less dangerous to one another and to his beautiful work in this world in that way. But having said that, it was never God's intention to leave people divided from one another and he's never meant for us to live in a world filled uh, with prejudice and suspicion. God is committed to reconciliation. And you know what the Bible says? God has declared that one day his people will be made up of one united family but of individuals from every language group, every people group, every national group. Revelation 7, 9. How many times have I cited it while I've been here? That's what God is committed to. And in the book of Acts, we see him beginning to do it. The effects of Babel, the division of languages in Genesis 11, he starts tearing that down. Letting us know that one day it will be completely torn down. But he isn't finished with his work yet. Anybody know that? So, so we, the world you and I live in still is filled with misunderstanding and prejudice. And, and those things are deeply rooted in our fallen human nature. And one of the things I've got to say to us is you and I have to be perceptive enough to just acknowledge that even though we might go out there and say, let's just immediately change the laws and that'll change everything. That again, all of the, of the things in this world simply don't have the power uh, to be able to bring together all that has been broken by our sin. That's a, a political or military force. If we learned any lesson from the fall of the Soviet Union, it was that one. You know, after four decades of the Soviet Union trying to get rid of all the uh, tribal differences and ethnic differences simply by totalitarian force, and they thought that they'd accomplished it. All of those things were gone. You know what happened? As soon as communism and that force was overthrown, all the ethnic and tribal differences emerged again. They just came up again. And they came up immediately. And they came up everywhere. So I've written this down for you just so that you won't miss it. So it became clear that we cannot effectively legislate unity. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to have the best laws we can, we should, but we need to acknowledge that we don't have the power to legislate unity. Laws and external force alone don't end the human divisions caused by our sin. But again, what the world cannot do, God can. And God will. And when God has finished his work, according to the end of it... <laughs> Revelation 21 and 22, everything is going to be new. I'm just telling you, basic to God's renewing work is that he's going to reconcile every broken relationship. And I am convinced that until his work is done, by his grace, God has planted local representatives of his family to meet together and show what he's like. Like whom? Like us. That's why he has put us here, to declare his glory. So with that in mind, I want us to see what happens again in Acts chapter 10. And in this, I want us to think about what the church is 
in God's plan. Or some people, when I say this, don't understand what I'm getting at. When, when God looks at the church, he sees what it's going to be, why he's put us here. And then he tells us, you've got to become what I've said you are. <laughs> so what, what did God always see that we should be? And we begin to see it when we get to the end of Acts 10. I don't know if you've noticed it when uh, Nancy was reading. But what we have there is a conservative Jewish man named Peter preaching a sermon at a Roman military leader's home. Nobody is shocked. You're supposed to gasp at this. He was preaching a sermon like the one I'm trying to preach here today. And, 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 and it was a good sermon. Look especially at verses 34 to 36. The three points he made. Number one, God does not show favoritism. God's eternal plan is, is to bless all people, all people. Verse 34. Point number two. So because of that, God's family is now open to people from every people group. That's why Jesus came, and it's entered into the same way, through faith in Jesus. When we, when we place our faith in Jesus, we're brought into that people group, verse 35. So ultimately, drives it home, verse 36, so God's salvation is for all people. All people. That was a good sermon. Do you think it was a good sermon? That was a great sermon. But I'm just telling you this. It took a miracle from God to get Peter there to that house to preach it. A miracle from God to get him and this Roman Cornelius together. When you read the story at the beginning, it's really clear. I mean, Cornelius was more open to this than Peter. Uh, Peter's excuses for not going over and entering into relationship uh, with Cornelius, they would have made sense uh, to the church gathering there. Uh, did you notice when that vision uh, came to him and that sheet was laid down and all these animals that he said, I shouldn't touch and I shouldn't eat, uh, which was really getting at there are all sorts of things that, that they weren't touching or having any association with. Peter immediately said, um, <clears throat> God, when he said, go kill and eat, um, God, um, I, I, have you ever read the Bible? Isn't that kind of what Peter said? God, I'm not supposed to do that. And God just comes so firmly. And he said, don't call unclean what I make clean. And, and, and then the, the thing that hits me with this is that it took it happening three times for Peter to finally get it. And, and the reason was, as you see in verse 1 of Acts 10, because Cornelius was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. See, Peter would have viewed um, Cornelius as being an illegal immigrant in his country. This was God's country. It was Israel. He shouldn't have been there. You know why, you know why he was there as a Roman to keep God's people under the authority of Rome. The Jewish people didn't want them there. They didn't think they belonged there. But it soon becomes clear that for whatever reason, uh, God sent centurions and the others there into uh, Israel. The main reason was God was going to send them there so that this centurion could be brought into his family. See it? 
You see it? Which, which uh, brings me to that question. How did this happen? How, how did these two men get together? How did Peter change from the one who excluded and would never have anything to do with Cornelius to somebody who went right into his home? Well, that brings me to what I put here. You've got to be here. The necessity of cross-cultural relationships. It, it took dreams and visions to get these two men even to sit down together. Did you read in the early verses? Cornelius was already praying to God, already seeking God. He was spending time with him. So it only took one divine vision for Cornelius. And I love the way it's put. God turns to him as he's praying and he says, I've heard you, Cornelius. God knew his name. He knows your name. Do you love that? It's one of the unimaginable things that how can the God who, who makes every... I can't, we can't remember one another's names. God, God knows this Roman centurion's name. I've heard you. Now, here's what I want you to do. Yes, who I'm going to ask you to invite to dinner today. <laughs> yes, a, a Jewish man named Peter. You've got to invite him to your home. And Cornelius obeyed. Meanwhile... Peter was resistant. Uh, I'm guessing that, that Peter didn't think he really needed any instruction about these things from God. After all, Peter had always tried to obey God's laws. And Peter was a true follower of Jesus. Peter was a leader in the church. Peter was even filled by the Holy Spirit. But one thing became clear that in spite of all those things... Peter still had some things deeply rooted in his mind and his life that God was going to have to root out. And one of those things was his prejudice against Gentiles. Now, I don't know if you're following me here, but that, that means that you and I can be genuine followers of Jesus and there's still things in our lives that God says, I still have to deal with that. And one of the reasons we come to church is to open up our lives and say, God... What would you have me to hear from you? What do I have to see differently today? And according to uh, chapter 10, verse 16, look at it. For God to root out this prejudice against Gentiles out of Peter's life, it took him sending three visions. Did you notice that? He had to send it three times. Kind of reminds me of Dickens' Christmas Carol. I want to send you three ghosts. <laughs> What do you think it might take for you and me to have some things rooted out of our lives? Do you come to church saying, Lord, there's still things, some things I know I have to listen to and I have to learn. And in Acts 10, God makes it known that the divisions that have been created by hatred and prejudice that had existed between Peter and Cornelius was no longer an option. Not, not, not since Jesus has come. It's no longer an option. And the beginning step of God to do His work in this world was that He forced these two men to meet. You see, He forced them into a relationship with one another. And then I love the way the story develops when they finally sat down with one another and they shared their experiences with God, the visions that they'd had from God, Look what happens in verse 34. Peter's heart melted. I now see, he said. I now see 
something he hadn't seen before. What did he see? I now see how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts people from every nation who fear him and who do what is right. And I hope you're listening to the rest of the story. Uh, Peter began to teach these, these Romans who were there about Jesus. That's what we always have to do. He told them, he said, you, you need Jesus. And he told them about Jesus' death uh, on the, in their place for their sins and that they had to turn away from that and repent and that they needed to trust Jesus, believe in his name, and they believed. And they found forgiveness of sins. Jesus came into their lives And then the Holy Spirit came, just like it had upon the Jews in Acts chapter 2. And then finally, uh, Peter said, "Ah, what should keep these people from being baptized in the name of Jesus? And and you know what that meant? That they were identified fully with Jesus and belonged to the family. That's really what baptism is all about. That's why we've been putting baptism back into our services here. Because it says we belong to one another. Now, my main point is this. That this marvelous story started with God demanding that these two men who had been separated by centuries of their family's differences and prejudices, he demanded that they enter into relationship with one another. Now, I've written it here so you will not miss it. God's work started with a relationship that neither man would have chosen on his own. God's work started with a relationship that neither man would have chosen on his own. Now, I've told the story enough times here that many of you know about how unexpected relationships have shaped my own walk with God. Within this context, I want to tell you a part of it again. When I was 12 years old, my family moved to Bluefield, West Virginia. It was a beautiful town. It was one of Life Magazine's uh, All-American Cities. And yet it was, I'm telling you, a racially segregated town. Our schools were completely segregated. Uh, The residential sections were completely segregated. Uh, Even when the public swimming pool, the government says you can't keep them uh, segregated anymore, our city officials, instead of allowing integrated swimming, uh, they cemented the pool over. Now, when I go to Bluefield, I, I... Loved going downtown. I always went with my big brother. He was about 6'2", 275, and a weightlifter. <laughs> because when, when I'd go with him, to get from where I lived, a white part of town, up to the downtown area, I had to go through the uh, more color-filled part of town. On one Saturday morning, I had to go on my own if I was going to get up there, so I did it. So as I was walking downtown, I found uh, to, through Bland Street, there's this little one little turn in the road. Uh, and I found myself right at Bundy's gift shop. And there were three men there of a more vibrant hue than my own who were standing. And I'll just show you, I have a picture of old Mr. Bundy. I, did, I love it so much. Isn't that great? It was his gift shop. And so those three men were uh, standing out there. They must have seen the terror in my face. Because you know how it is when we meet people that we've never had any relationship with. I've never had any relationships with anybody uh, who was different from myself racially. How we just, we don't quite know what to do. And at, at that point, one of the older men looked at me, and he must have seen that terror, and he said, young fellow, here's what you should do. You should just pull up a chair with us and sit down for a spell. 
because you look like you need a nice, cool bottle of pop. And, he said, you might learn something, too. You might find out that we're just folks. So I did. And I'm just telling you that that was the beginning of a set of relationships that changed my life. I met true brothers in Christ that day, though generationally, generationally we were so different. Uh, ethnically, we were so different. Uh, years later, after those relationships happened, I went to Chicago. And when volunteers were asked for to go to Cabrini Green, I think I've told you this, I thought, I can do that. <laughs> That's the project there in the Gold Coast part of Chicago that had just been turned down. And I remember one time when I drove in, it was the first time in my life I'd been profiled. So I drove in, they stopped me, and they said, what are you doing in this part of town for my protection? And then finally, uh, people would come there. I would take the public transportation in, and, and usually the high school students would come and meet me and bring me through because I taught Bible studies to the kids in the projects. I met the most beautiful people. And I think the thing that I remember uh, the most is that I met single moms who loved their kids and loved the Lord but were so worried about the kind of world that they were bringing their kids up in. And that they knew that there were so many parts of this world if their kids were going to succeed that, that they would not be accepted, that they would be profiled. Many years later, when I was the president of a, of a school that had much more ethnic diversity, both in our administration and in our student body, than most Christian universities. I, I would just hear from our students and our administration story after story after story about our, our people being stopped and interrogated simply because of their skin color. Say, uh, uh, Trinity, where I was, is located in the wealthiest part of Chicago, the North Shore up there, and, and about the only cars that weren't Lexuses or Porsches or Lamborghinis or something were owned by Trinity people, <laughs> and about the only skin color that had any color to it at all was Trinity people. And so, so many times they, people just not belong in this community. What are you doing here? I'll never forget one day I was out in our gym and 18 of our students sat down with me and just opened up their lives and, and told me how hard it was uh, to live in a place where they were always viewed with suspicion, never felt like they belonged. And, and I'll tell you, because they learned to trust me enough to open up their lives. I, th I think this last week I've understood more about what seems so shocking to some people. How can it be that something that happened in a state so far away can lead to over a hundred cities of protests going on? What's going on here? What's going on is the same thing all of our students were facing and with all the things we've tried to do, it, it doesn't seem to have changed a lot of that. And, and this whole issue really came home to me this week in our own church when a young woman that I, I deeply respect and I love, she's a part of us, serves with us. I'm not going to use her name, but you can try to figure out who she might be. But she wrote me a letter about this. And listen, this is a part of our own church, our own family. Pastor Greg, hopefully this verdict in Florida can begin a focused discussion of the responsibility of the local church to pray for and walk with those in our communities who live under the oppressiveness of suspicion. Maybe we will be able to dialogue about the dangers, implicit and explicit, that many experience living as minorities throughout our nation. 
I do not think some people understand what that danger does to our families and our future families. This current tragedy of Trayvon Martin's murder has been a reminder of the many black young men who have died in our country in similar circumstances. Many say that it is the Christian faith and hope that sustains the black community. And that's where I see opportunity for the church to learn to be a true family to us when we lose members of our own. And I've written a part of it because I find it to be so moving. She went on to write, One day, I plan to have a family of my own. I dread the day that my husband and I will have to begin explaining to our son, our son in particular, the imperative of his survival despite forces and attitudes that would rather him not. On top of that, we'll also have the responsibility to teach him that God is still alive and real and that faith is worth it in spite of many injustices. These are not conversations that all parents in our nations have to have, I understand. Though I don't have children yet, I know I'll have to have those conversations if God gives me children. And I know why I'll have to have them. This is what I've been processing this week. And I still have more to pray over. You know, my prayers, brothers and sisters, has been that Acts 10, isn't it amazing that we came to this text this week? Don't, don't you think? Isn't it amazing? I'm praying that it will help us to see as God sees and, and become more and more a church family that walks with people in our neighborhood across the racial, the generational, even the socioeconomic divides. I'll tell you, we have so much to offer this world, the good news. We have to offer the world a family of people who know that God's grace is greater than our sin. So there's hope for anybody. What, what we have to offer is a Savior who unites us in spite of the divisions in our world, the divisions that would threaten to try to divide us. Jesus is a Savior who brings us into one family. And that when we receive Him, He pours into us His Holy Spirit. So that when we see people, we see people we belong to. And when that's true and we're in one family together, then what we're supposed to do is walk together as good families always do. Through good times and bad, right? So how should our lives look as members of God's unexpected family? Well, the first thing I, I, I think has to happen is we, we have to have our eyes to change. Uh, we, we have to develop God's eyes for people, just like Peter had to develop, we have to. And I think that's possible only through cross-cultural relationships. It's the reason, I, Nancy, I wanted you to talk about this. I thought, where do we find a place where our lives can actually connect with many people in our community. Well, more and more we can here, but so many people in our community are just walking through such challenging times that we don't even understand that life experience, do we? And I really feel like the foundation has been raised up by God from among us so that we can have places where we can get out there and be tutors and mentors. And Nancy, you made the point so well. We can be a blessing to people, right? It's so, so much joy to be a blessing. But yeah, that's not going to be a one-way street. We will be blessed. So Peter did not want a relationship with a Gentile. So God sent him three visions. 
to get him that three visions were required. And then after clear instructions from God and a personal relationship with a man very different from himself, Peter would say in verse 34, now I see. Don't you think that would have been hard for him as a church leader? I hadn't seen it before. It takes humility. I was blind to it before. Now I see. He acknowledged that he was wrong. But I'll tell you what happened. When he began to see God's eyes for people like Cornelius, it opened up a whole world. A whole world, even of ministry for him, and it will for us too. So develop God's eyes. Two, when you enter into a relationship, this is an important part of it. In that relationship, we have to be finding that place, a place of trust where we can talk about hard things together. Because, you know, the way that we use it when hard things come up, we just talk at one another. It's kind of like those old things on, on crossfires where we, the two people on television just yell at one another. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Don't you see it? This is justice, this is injustice. We have to talk about hard things, but we've got to do it in a, in a relation, context of a relationship of trust. So I'm going to give you a phrase my mom always used. It's not in the Bible, and it's not first found in a business principle too, but it's good common advice. She said, in these relationships, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Does that, you get that? Seek first to understand. Listen, help me to understand this. This makes no sense. Then say, this is what I see to be understood so that real interchange can happen. Because I found that when we listen to one another and understand one another, then we can talk about the hard things that that separate us from one another. And I just think in our world right now, we have to learn to do this, to talk about things as difficult as prejudice in our nation and maybe even in our church. If we do it the way Peter did it, I'm telling you what's going to happen in this church. It's going to end up the very same way it ended up at Cornelius' house. Uh, with people filled with praise and singing and baptism and the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll know God is real. So be willing to talk about hard things. And then, here's the part two. What we have to learn to do is to be ready to walk together with our brothers and sisters. uh, Even in their hard times. Uh, I found that if we really enter into these relationships, there's always a, a price to pay when you begin to see more than you once did, it, you end up going to places you would never have gone like Peter did. Sometimes maybe you'll go to court with a brother or sister who's a part of our church family. What, what would have happened if the, Will, if the Martins and the Zimmermans had been in one church together? What would have happened? Only speculating. Peter, soon after his world had been opened, he had to enact 11... Go in and defend why he'd shown up at a Gentile's house. (laughs) You can read it. It's not easy, is it? But he went. And it opened up the ministry that brought us all the way here to Southern California. So um, I want us to be a praying church tonight at the upper room, 5 o'clock. We're going to be praying about this. I, I think one of my close friends, Dr. William Washington, he's staying with Chris and me this weekend. I think he's going to show up with me. You heard him preach a few months ago. Do you remember him? Uh, I think we're going to pray together for our neighborhood tonight. If I can get, twist his arm and get him to church. Um, so be here and pray because we need to pray. Uh, at the end of the service, Nancy, we have a table out here. You just, just straight out 
at the door. Uh, our foundation will set up tours of our city if you've never taken one. They're so fantastic. You can write on the... I hope we have hundreds of people who want to do this uh, to get to see things in our neighborhood that perhaps you've never seen before. Uh, it's really an opportunity that I'd like you to take. Or even if you just know, if you heard Nancy's call today, that you'll be a, a mentor or a tutor. It would be life-changing. Um, and finally, at the end of the service, uh, we'll want you to give. The work of our foundation is setting up these relationships of God's people with people in the neighborhood that I think is one of the most community transformative opportunities that we have. But there is a tremendous need financially, so give as generously as you can. So let me end my message with this. I have begun to, to see more than ever before how profound Jesus' words were. I mean, I know these words well, but in the context of all of this, just how profound Jesus' words were when just before going to the cross, he sat down with his disciples and he gave them a command. He gave them a command. Here's what he said. John 13. A new command I give to you. Love one another. See, he was envisioning this world, this family that was going to be made up of every tribe, language, and nation. He knew it wouldn't be easy. He knew he wouldn't want to do it. So the command is love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. And then I think knowing how hard this would be for us in this fallen world. Just a few chapters later, John chapter 17. I love it. We find Jesus Praying for us. Sometimes we say, help them, Jesus. But here's Jesus saying, help them, Father. My people need help. And here is his prayer. I pray also for those who will believe in me. Who's that? Who's that? So here's Jesus praying for us. That all of them may be one Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Then the world will know that you sent me. Then the world will know that you love them even as you love me. Answer this prayer, our Father, to your glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, I have been in awe all week of how you have brought us to Acts 10 in this particular week in our country. Teach us. Use your word to work into our hearts. May it be our vision. May it be our dream of what we are to be. Why Jesus gave his life to reconcile us to you and to one another. So, Father, I pray that for each one of us, you would give us your heart, your ears, and your eyes. 
I pray that there would be a new and fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us. I pray that in a world divided, that this world might even see us placed here on this corner of Lake Avenue and the 210 and say God is in that place. Jesus must be real. God must have sent him because they see us walking together in unity. Do your work in our lives, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.